Glad you uh, survived Christmas and got here this morning. Well done. Um, we're going to uh, be thinking uh, hard today about who Jesus is. Uh, we've got a really um, unique part of the Bible in front of us today because there is no other part of the Bible which is about Jesus as a boy. Uh, there's some bits about him as being born and there's some bits where he's an adult and there's very little in between, just this bit. Um, so gives us some fairly unique insights into some things about who Jesus is. Um, how about a pray for God's help as we uh, have a look at the Bible today? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us this passage in Luke's Gospel today to think about. Uh, we want to understand Jesus better today so that we can uh, know him truly and so that we can uh, relate to him, uh, knowing that he became a human being, that we would understand what that meant better, that we'd be amazed by that. Uh, I pray, Father, that we would uh, have a better sense afterwards um, that he's actually on our side of the divide. He's a human being. He represents us knowing humanness. Please help us to understand what this means this morning and uh, to know a saviour who really knows our situation intimately on the inside. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I think one of the things Christians struggle with quite a bit is uh, that thing I've just prayed about. Uh, was Jesus really, really a human being? It's one of the most extraordinary claims Christians make, because the Bible makes it, by the way. Uh, God became a human being. More specifically, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became a human being. He wasn't a human being, uh, then he became one. Uh, the entailments of that are absolutely mind-boggling. They will blow your mind the more you think about it. They will puzzle you the more you think about it. We're going to think about some of those things this morning. It's not that we're supposed to be left clueless, but I think we are supposed to be left amazed. Uh, it's called, traditionally, oh, that's the first slide of our uh, series. We're doing a Luke series, by the way, if you haven't been here. This is the third one or so. Traditionally, it's called the incarnation. It comes from a Latin word. It just means uh, to become flesh. Jesus was enfleshed. He was uh, God the Son in eternity. He never was a creature. He never was physical. And then he became a physical, biological person. The creator became part of his creation. It was a new thing. He was conceived in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. He was born to a couple of very simple working-class Israelites in the far northern reaches of Israel that all the more sophisticated city Israelites like to make fun of. He was a really ordinary human being. And he was God. <laughs> it's a really staggering idea when you think about it. See, since the incarnation, Jesus has continued to be God the Son and he has continued to be a human being at the same time, fully both. And he will continue to be a human being and God's Son for all eternity. He became a human being. He really did. He really genuinely had and experienced life as a human being in the same way that the rest of us human beings experience life. He experienced the same thought process we experienced. He experienced having a body like we experience it. He experienced growing up like we experience it. Inwardly and outwardly, not just God in a superficial way, Jesus experienced being a human being and absolutely comprehensively in every way, just like what you are. Jesus became what you are. Isn't that mind-boggling? God became what you are. 
I think uh, we often struggle with that, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, we've just uh, proclaimed that Jesus in the Nicene Creed is those, both of those things. The Nicene Creed, the thing we read before, it says Jesus is God and man. It says the only Son of God um, is of one being with the Father. That means there's God who is one being, one entity, if you like, um, and Jesus is of one being with the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit of one God. And yet, he came down from heaven and he became truly human. What we're confessing there is... Everything that makes a human being is what Jesus became. Every, everything that makes the experience of being a human being, Jesus experienced. As a human being, not as God, as a human being. Because he's not just a human being in some superficial way, he's really became a human being. The classic way that the same people who wrote this creed uh, expressed it, you might have heard this before, it's a good, a good way to remembering it, uh, who Jesus is. Jesus is one person with two natures, is the classic way that they sort of formulated saying who Jesus was. One person with two natures. The two natures, he's divine and he's human. Both of those things. And they don't sort of mix in to make some sort of third thing. He's got he's two natures, he's always divine, he's always human as one person. One of the reasons they write creeds like this is so that you know Jesus properly and you wouldn't be sucked in by false views of him. Basically, the people who wrote this were trying to rule out some of the fake views that have come up over time about who Jesus was. I'll show you what some of those are. I'll draw some uh, diagrams on the screen here. Um, I've got a key there. Uh, the grey bit of the diagram is going to be the human side and the gold bit's going to be the divine side. And so here's some views of Jesus that came up that the people who wrote the creed were trying to rule out, saying, no, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's truly human and he's truly God. Therefore, uh, the dosis, docetists came along. Docetism just means that Jesus only appeared to be human. Now, you've, you've come across this before, I think. Have you heard God with skin on is Jesus? Jesus is just God with skin on. It's, he looked like a human being, but he wasn't really. He was just God. Really, so it's all, it's all yellow. Uh, docetism, he just appeared to be a human being. Really, he's just God. Well, no, he really became a human being in every way, both God and man. The other end of the scale, you've got the Arians who said, no, no, he's just a hum- just normal human being. Who, who will you come across today who believes this? Who, who, Jehovah's Witnesses? They basically are Arians. They believe that Jesus was just a perfect human being. And they say, no, no, he was divine and human. Then people tried to get more sophisticated and say, all right, that one's dumb, that one's dumb. Let's go sort of in the middle somewhere. And so some people came along. There was a guy called, you wonder where these names came from. They didn't name them hard things on purpose. They're named after people who taught them. So Arianism was taught by Arius. Apollinarianism was taught by Apollinarius. Uh, and so on. Now, Apollinarius came along and he said, well, he became a human being. He had a human body, but he had God's mind. As in, he doesn't have a human brain. He thinks just with God's thoughts. He doesn't actually experience life as a human being here and in his feelings and in his emotions. He's God in his brain. And they say, no, 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 he became fully human. He experienced what it was to be a human being as a human being. It's really important. And then Nestorius came along. You don't have to remember these. I just want you to see what the problems are with this. Uh, and he said, oh, well, he, it's kind of two persons in one person. There's this divine person and there's this human person and you kind of mix them together and you get Jesus and it's kind of two persons and the two persons kind of talk to each other on the inside and that's just weird. So it's schizophrenic Jesus at that point. What this is supposed to rule out is, uh, with the creed is Jesus is one person with two natures. He's fully human even whilst continuing to be fully God. He's never less than fully human or less than fully God. And there's a significant problem that I want to raise with you today. The problem is that in practice, I've discovered church after church, Christian after Christian I've talked to, um, maybe some of you have this experience as well, a lot of Christians struggle 
to think of and relate to Jesus as if he genuinely was a human being. Because we don't think he really was. Not on the inside, he didn't really know what it was to be a human being. Have you thought this thought before? Perhaps as we keep talking, some things will resonate with you. He didn't have genuinely human experiences because we keep trumping it with, but he was God, so it couldn't have been a genuinely human experience. See, the incarnation of Jesus is supposed to mean that God the Son understands your life from the inside. He can relate to you. He knows the sorts of experience you've had firsthand. He knows what it is to suffer and to be tempted and to struggle with obedience. The Bible says he suffered, tempted, struggled with God's plan for his life. He learned obedience through hard experience when compromise would be so easy. He trusted in God as a human being. He prayed. He endured opposition. But we say, oh, no, no, but he had a trump card. He was God. He didn't experience it the way we did. He didn't find it hard. The Bible said he did find it hard because he became a human being. And so we should be encouraged by example. His experience is exactly like yours because he became what you are. Now, friends, that's really, really important, and here's why it's really important. Got two things on the screen. Only a genuinely human Jesus can be an example for you to follow and a saviour capable of relating to you with empathy and understanding. Think about it in turn. Example to follow. If it's just God on the inside, it just has a God brain, he doesn't really get tempted by anything, he doesn't find obedience hard, doesn't have to struggle because he's God and he's perfect and he has all power and all that sort of thing. If it's just that, then saying, okay, follow Jesus, let him be your example. You say, well, he's got some ability that I don't really have. <laughs> it's, it's a bit ridiculous in the end, isn't it? Say, follow Jesus who is God. You say, I'm a mere human being. I have weaknesses that he didn't suffer. See, only a genuinely human Jesus can be an example for you to follow in a real way, in a genuine way. And only a saviour capable of relating to you with empathy and understanding. The only saviour that can do that is one who has lived as a human being and understands our difficulties, our troubles, our trials, firsthand. And that's what the Bible says. Let me take you through some things that the book of Hebrews says. This is one of those sermons where the first half of the sermon is the introduction. Okay? The reason is because I really want us to understand these things. Look through the book of Hebrews for a sec. Here's some of the things the book of Hebrews says. Jesus suffered. Listen to it. Take it seriously. Don't just trump it with the idea, oh, but he was God, so it wasn't the same for him. That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, make him perfect through what he suffered. Uh, the word perfect is going to throw us off. Um, what it, it does, it's not saying he was imperfect, as in here there was things wrong with him. It's saying he wasn't complete yet. It's like he hadn't, done, he, he hadn't fulfilled his uh, training for his job yet. So you would say a person who is undertaking training to be an electrician is perfected into that role when they complete the training, right? It's the same thing with Jesus. What does he need in his training to be the saviour? He needed to suffer, and he really needed to suffer. It wasn't just Jesus the robot approaching suffering like he doesn't suffer. <laughs> Jesus suffered. And people say, oh, no, no, but he was God, so it wasn't real suffering. No, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. Again, Hebrews 4.15, and here's where it comes to the application for us, a Jesus we can relate to. Here's the encouragement. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. Get that? Jesus was weak. You feel weak? Jesus did too. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. It couldn't be more clear, could it? Yet he did not sin. That's the only thing that's different which is extraordinary. But it wasn't a foregone conclusion. It's just, oh, I'm God, I won't sin. It's real simple. 
He's not a robot. He's a human being. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. Oh, but he was God. He had things I didn't have. He couldn't really be tempted. He couldn't really be weak. He was. That's what the Bible says. He struggled with God's will and learned obedience by experience. Listen to this extraordinary passage in Hebrews 5. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to God who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. See that? He's asking not to die. Again, he's a normal human being with human emotions, human desires. He knows death's bad. He doesn't want to die. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, once made complete as the saviour, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus desperately didn't want to die and asked that he wouldn't, even while he submitted to his father's will. Friends, don't picture a person praying in the Garden of Gethsemane for the hour of his death to pass him by who is unlike you. He faced it the same way you would in that situation. The Father commands you, die for the sins of the world. He became a human being. He struggled with the same emotions, doubts, fears and struggles that you would have. And he learned what it meant to obey God in the most difficult circumstance. The kind of training that no one else has had to undergo because nobody else has had that mission before. Oh, come on, Matthew, he's God. He couldn't actually struggle with God's will. He couldn't be afraid of suffering or learn anything new about what obedience looked like. He's God. That's what our brain often does. No, no, it wasn't real suffering. It wasn't real temptation. Not what the Bible says. He became truly human. Last one. Let us run the race with perseverance marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The perfecter of faith. He's the prominent example of a human being trusting God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is supposed to be our example. If you read the chapter before, Hebrews 11 gives lots of examples of faithful human beings who obeyed God and trusted him in difficult circumstances. And then he says, conclusion, best example of a human being trusting God, that's Jesus. He even went to death on a cross. You say, but he was God, he's not an example the same way Abraham was. It wasn't as difficult for him as it was for Daniel to face the things he, it was, because he was a human being. And therefore, his example should encourage us. Jesus endured opposition like that, and therefore, you can too. Isn't that what it says? Think about what Jesus endured and be encouraged by his example, because he really truly became human, and the same Holy Spirit that empowered him empowers you if you're a Christian. Friends, can you see what's at stake with having a truly human Jesus? It's actually a Jesus you can relate to. It's a Jesus who can relate to you because he was desperately weak, he was tempted, he suffered, he struggled, he learned obedience, he trusted God in everything, just the way we're called to trust in God, and he endured all opposition, come what may, with faithfulness. It's a Jesus you can relate to. It's a Jesus who knows what you're going through no matter what happens to you as a human being. Now, that's uh, hard to piece together with what we know about God because I'm not saying Jesus is just a human, remember? He's God and he's a human being at the same time. How can he have those experiences and still be God? Well, let's, let's just have a quiz for a minute. Uh, I reckon I know what your answers are going to be. Um, what are some characteristics of God? This is, what, this is the trouble we have in our, our head and it's fair enough. What are some characteristics of God? Shout them out. Loving. Yep, loving. Yep. How powerful. Sorry? All, all powerful. Yep. 
um, omni-powerful, or what do we call it? Om, uh, omnipotent, that's it. Potent, the suffix I'm looking for, yes. Omnipotent, he gets, he's all-powerful. What, what does he know? Everything. Jesus, God knows everything, and he can do anything, all right? Um, big questions about Jesus, and I'll shock you with my answers, because Jesus is God, God the Son, right? Here's some good questions about Jesus that we learn from the Bible. If we leave these things aside for a minute, here's what the Bible teaches. Could the boy Jesus do miracles? No. I'm going to give you some shocking answers, and hopefully over the course of the sermon you'll see why. Jesus couldn't do miracles as a boy. Uh, He didn't forget his sandwich and make other sandwiches out of the other boy's sandwiches as a miracle. He just didn't work that way. The reason is because he hadn't been baptised yet. He hadn't been commissioned by his father at his baptism. He hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered for his mission, which is what we'll look at next week if you come. Because Jesus isn't God on his own. He's God with the Father and with the Spirit. And he only does miracles through the, according to the Father's will and, according, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus always know he would die on the cross? No. He didn't always. Before he left heaven, he did, definitely, right? He was sent for that purpose. That's what it says in John's Gospel. But when he arrived, he became a human baby. He genuinely became a human baby. And if you've studied human babies, what do human babies know? Not a whole lot. He really, truly became human. And then by the time he gets to his baptism, he definitely knows he'd die on a cross again. Uh, Probably some point in the intervening time he knew that, but I don't know. Did the baby Jesus know everything? No, he was a baby. And that's what the passage says to us. It actually pictures a Jesus who grows up and learns things and develops and goes from not knowing things to knowing things. Chapter 2, verse 40, it says, this is Jesus as a child. It says, the child grew and became strong. That is just normal human development is what those words mean. And then there's the spiritual side of it. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So he was in God's favour And he learnt things about God, is what that means. It's extraordinary. Did the boy Jesus know everything? No, because he was still in that process of development. He was really a human being. He was growing up physically and spiritually. So you imagine Jesus at school. Did Jesus, was Jesus the best in every class? Did he get every single thing right? Was he ultimate at sport? Did Jesus know every musical instrument and could shred on anything? No, he's, he's a human being. He became a normal human being, an ordinary child who went through the ordinary stages of development. Did Jesus the man know everything? No, and he's very explicit about it if you read the Gospels closely. In Luke 8, we will read about a woman who approaches Jesus and uh, she wants to be healed and she touches the edge of his cloak and she's healed. Jesus stops in the midst of the crowd and goes, who touched me? And he looks around and sees, who was it? He doesn't know. There's nothing in... In fact, the text explicitly says he doesn't know. He's there going, he touched me. And it says, he looked around to see who it was. He didn't know who touched him. He knew that somebody had been healed by the power of the spirit that was upon him. People will trump that and say, oh, of course he knew he was God. That's not what the text says. The text says he looked around to see who touched him. He didn't know everything. Does the resurrected Jesus know everything? Matthew 24, he says that no one knows the time of his second coming, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See, Jesus is reliant on his Father for all he knows. 
Did the pre-incarnate Jesus, before he became a human being, know everything? Perhaps. I'm not sure, to be honest. Uh, I think he didn't. Here's why. Uh, you might be pretty bothered by this idea. I'm not actually contradicting that Jesus is God. I want you to see that in a moment. This is the God Christians believe in. Um, I've just symbolized it here with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, in loving unity for all eternity, relying on each other to do their role. Here's the roles the Bible describes them having. Um, the Father always plans and leads. The Son, that's Jesus, lovingly performs the work the Father gives him. And the Holy Spirit provides the power for God's work and testifies to God's work. That is, he speaks about it. He leads people to speak about it. Very consistently in the Bible, that's what the persons of the Trinity do. They have roles that they perform that are different from each other. And they're not interchangeable. Jesus couldn't have sent his Father to die for the sins of the world. Right? Now, God knows everything. It doesn't mean God the Son knows everything. What it means is God the Son relies on his Father to know what he knows. That's the way it's always been, and that's certainly the way we see it in the New Testament. Read John 5 sometime. I do only as my Father tells me to do. I speak only as my Father shows me to speak. That's what Jesus teaches. Now the Son's become a human being. He's a human baby, and over the coming years he develops as a human being develops, which leads you to the question, well, how did Jesus know what he did? Because he started as a baby. It's an, this the incarnation is extraordinary. God became a human being. That means he didn't know anything anymore. He became a human baby. He really genuinely became a human being, baby. Well, how did he get to the point where he knew God again? It's actually really important because he's supposed to be our example of how we get to know God. Now, somebody was asking me, saying before, um, it's really strange that there's so many gaps in the record of Jesus' life. So he's born, he does, well, we don't know what he does, and then he's an adult and he gets baptised and goes on this mission. The reason the gospel stories concentrate on that is because Jesus' mission is why he came. As you read all four gospels, you notice there's a great deal of attention to Jesus' baptism, which is where the Father says, you're my son, go do my will now. He's the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. And the things after that. That's the point of Jesus. The stuff before that is just preparation. It doesn't matter. The details of it really don't matter. Um, the little bit we've got today in Luke chapter 2 is really valuable because it gives us insight in how Jesus grew in his knowledge for his task. It's how God, his Father, prepared him for his ministry as a human being. So have a look at chapter 2, verse 40. I just want you to notice what it says there. Um, it says, Jesus was fill, uh, grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Down verse 52, it's the same thing. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. If you read really carefully, you'll notice over the course of chapter 2, the terms for Jesus change. 2.16, he's a baby. 2.40, he's a little child. 2.43, he's a child. And then he's a man in, in, in 2.51. He grows up and becomes strong. Teachers, childcare workers, he went through the normal stages of development. Let your mind be boggled by it. Jesus learned sensory motor skills. He learned to recognise objects. He learned to imitate the actions of those around him. He learned to sit, crawl, coast about. He learned to walk. He learned how to bang things together watching his dad do carpentry. He gradually developed language skills and social relational skills. He gradually learned how to think through problems logically and classify things into categories. He learned how to think with increasing levels of complexity. His mind developed and he grew in his capacity to know things as a human being. And he experienced that process like you do except that he never sinned, which is extraordinary when you go, he really became a human being. 
This is our saviour, the one who was really human and didn't sin. If he was a baby, how did he learn? Well, sometimes Jesus got knowledge that nobody else could. They're actually the rare occasion, the exception to the rule. So you'll get things like Jesus knew people's hearts or he knew who would betray him before it was actually, by human means, he got to know it. But the primary way Jesus got to know things is the same way you get to know God. This is the extraordinary thing, the amazing thing. Jesus got to know his father for the second time in the same way that you and I can and do. He read the Bible. He had an upbringing where he heard it, studied it, asked questions and gradually grew in his understanding and spiritual insight. That's what it means with he was filled with wisdom. He grew. He, uh, he grew in wisdom and stature, in favour with God and man. His family had a devotional life. His parents and community taught him God's ways. He learnt the Old Testament law and the prophets and gradually he fit them together and worked out what it was about. That's what it means for Jesus to grow in wisdom. And so you can put this sort of thing here. This is really just put a diagram. I like diagrams. Knowledge and wisdom go up over time. He started as a baby. He became a child. He became a man. Knowledge and wisdom growing all the time. And then when the mission started, he knew what he needed to know. He was fully equipped and trained for his mission that his father had given him to complete. Here's some of the things that mess with my mind. At some point he realised who he was. And he learned it from the Bible. See, there was a moment not only when Jesus read the prophecy about a coming king from the line of David who would rule forever, but there was a moment where he learned that that was him. He learned about the suffering servant and he learned that he would die for the sins of the world and he would be that servant. He read that section from Isaiah 40 we read earlier about the coming salvation God promised and he realised he was that saviour and he would bring that salvation. That's why there's so much time before Jesus begins his ministry. He read the Bible for three decades. So he was equipped to do his job. God was preparing him for his ministry. And so during his ministry, you'll see him quoting the Bible, preaching the Bible, teaching the Bible, applying the Bible, because that's his training. He learned it, he was shaped by it, and he was ready to serve his father's will as the God-man. Let's quickly go through the story and see how he was uh, shaped here, the, uh, these early events. Uh, got some of the background. And I just want to think through uh, some of the story there. So Jesus' parents are faithful Israelites, right? They did the things the law commanded. They travelled Jerusalem and did the ceremonies you were supposed to do when you had a son. Jesus was dedicated to God's service. And Joseph and Mary met some really interesting people. Now, if you were here two Sundays ago, you remember I said that um, the normal Christian life all through the ages is waiting. We're actually waiting for God to bring salvation in the future. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, they're all portrayed in that way and it continues with Simeon and Anna, two of the people in this passage. So have a look at 2.25. Chapter 2.25, it says, um, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So that's just the normal Christian life. You're just going, God's bringing salvation. I can't wait for that to come. My life is a life of waiting for that day to come. Verse 38, you'll see the same thing of Anna and the people she was talking to. Uh, Anna said, uh, Anna gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child Jesus to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. They're looking forward to the salvation God will bring. Friends, it's always the mark of a Christian that you don't look to ultimate solutions to life in the here and now. Uh, the solution to your problems at the biggest level is when Jesus returns and not before. It won't be before. The solutions to the problems of the world will be when Jesus returns. And so we want Jesus to return. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. It's a fundamental part of what it means to be a Christian. 
Now, Simeon's an ordinary, devout Israelite believer. Um, however, he did receive a really unusual promise. Uh, you'll see it in 2.26. He was promised, he got this special revelation straight to him, that he would see the saving king before he died. That's a pretty good promise from God to receive, and he had no reason to expect he would receive it. He just did. Uh, uh, parents, Jesus' parents go to the temple to do the ceremony, and a very excited Simeon meets them prophesying about their son. Look at 2.29. It says, Sovereign Lord... As you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That's a remarkable piece, isn't it? Simeon sees Jesus and says, I've seen the Saviour, I can die in peace now. I have peace with God now. That's basic Christianity again, isn't it? Friends, do you know the comfort and assurance in the face of death that comes from knowing the Saviour? Because that's what Simeon had. That's just, it's, it's normal Christianity again. Simeon says, I can die in peace because I know peace awaits me on the other side. I've seen the Saviour. Friends, for Christians, death isn't the end. It's entrance into enjoying the peace we have with God forever. And it's a very typical letter in the New Testament. You read it over and over again. How do they all start? Grace and peace to you through Jesus Christ because that's what we have in him. He's given us peace. We know what's on the other side. We know we have eternal life. We know it's better than now. Much, much better than now. But there's difficult times ahead for Mary. Verse 34, um, Simeon says to Mary, oh, by the way, this child's destined to call the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary, there's going to be enormous emotional pain involved in being the mother of the Son of God. You'll suffer disillusionment, difficulty with the strange choices you'll make. You won't understand. It'll be really hard. He'll make extraordinary claims about himself and you'll want to protect him and shelter him and you can't. must have been very, very hard to be the son of that man, the, the mother of that guy, of Jesus. Jesus' parents returned each year for Passover along with their friends and their extended family. It was, I, I don't know, 130-kilometre walk, so they only did it once a year. Uh, when the fest- uh, Jesus went along when he was 12, probably for the first time, I think, uh, and when the festival ended, everyone went home and Jesus' uh, mum and dad naturally just assumed he was with their relatives walking home because that's what everybody was doing and he's a trustworthy boy. Uh, they travelled the whole day from Jerusalem and when nightfall came, they realised he wasn't with them. <laughs> So they turned around, they went back to Jerusalem and went looking for him. It took three days to find him. Parents in the room, it took three days for them to find their kid. Just, just be in that moment for a moment. That's, uh, well, be in those three days for a moment, that's awful. They found him in the temple and he was engaged in deep theological discussion with some of the finest religious teachers in Israel. Normal teaching method is question and answer. Like teachers here will talk about a topic, they'll ask you some questions, you'll ask some questions back, that sort of thing. Have a look at verse 46 and you'll read about it. But I want you to notice, uh, because you might misread it because of what you expect. It doesn't actually say Jesus was teaching them anything. They were teaching Jesus. Verse 46, after the three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. Like good students, he knew the most penetrating answers to uh, questions to ask. He'd already pieced a bunch of things together and he asked really insightful questions. You can tell good students by the questions they ask very often. Uh, And this was a very, very good student. 
a student in training, to know the things of God. He had a great thirst to discuss and understand spiritual questions and people were just blown away by this 12-year-old who thought this way. He seemed to be a serious prodigy. His parents were amazed and relieved to find him. Have a listen to the discussion, verse 48. It says, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Your father and I. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Already, they are confused. They don't understand about Jesus. It's already causing them pain and difficulty. Now, did you notice the plain words on father? Your father and I have been looking for you. Jesus already knows who he is. Yes, well, I'm about my father's work. I'm not destined to be a carpenter. I'm destined to live the life of the Son of God and do what God the Father wants me to do. I have to be in my father's house about my father's business. Well, what business is that? It's actually, uh, it's not completely clear in English um, where it says, uh, which verse am I talking about? 48. 49, he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He actually says that it's necessary I'm in my father's house. It's a word that keeps getting used in um, Luke's gospel for when Old Testament prophecy has to be fulfilled, for when something has to happen to make God's plan go to the next stage. What has to happen here? What, What is necessary about Jesus being there? Well, what's necessary is that he be in training, that he be in the temple learning from these teachers God's ways from the Bible. He needs to learn God's will for mankind if he's going to be the perfectly obedient human being. He needs to learn God's promise. He needs to learn his father's will from the scriptures. He's in training. But he doesn't dismiss his parents. He uh, follows the parents that his father in heaven has given him. It's extraordinary when you work out who he is and realise at this point he knows who he is. His father in heaven is his father. Verse 51, though, he says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart. She mulled them over for a long time. It was 17 years before Jesus found anything else that he was necessary for him to do. And that was when he was baptised. That was when things moved forward uh, properly. But he continued to grow in wisdom as he studied the Bible, as he learned his father's ways in preparation for the great task ahead of him. Now, you might be stunned by the Jesus I've presented this morning. I don't know if you've heard that before. Jesus became a human being, not in some superficial way. He wasn't a hybrid human being and God. Now, you'll have questions about that. Good, write them on the Karen Connect cards. Maybe I won't know the answer to some of them, but that's fine too. We don't need to know everything, but we do need to know Jesus is a real human being. He can relate to you. He understands you. You can relate to him. God the Son became a human being just like you. He grew and developed just like you. He needed to be prepared for ministry like you do. He got to know God from the Bible like you do. He grew in wisdom and understanding as he enthusiastically got to know what God taught in the Bible like you can. And that means he can be the example for you to follow. When you read the Jesus in the Bible, have confidence. What's this man's example? How can I follow this man? Because he is a man. He is a human being. I can follow him. And friends, understand when you pray to your Father in heaven, you have the Son of God at his right hand who is a human being. Who knows the troubles you've been through? He's been tested. He's been tempted. He can deal with you gently. He's the first person you'd want to turn to when you're in trouble because he really, really understands what you're going through because Jesus is fully God and fully human. Let's pray and thank God for the uh, the Saviour we have.
Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us a saviour such as Jesus, one who isn't uh, unaware of our difficulties and our struggles. Thank you that he experienced human life in all its fullness and uh, in a way that wasn't contradicted or impaired by the fact that he continued to be God the Son. Thank you that we know we have a saviour who is just like us in every way except that he never sinned. Thinks that he was tempted, tested, thinks that he struggled and prayed and was obedient to you. Thinks that he is the greatest example of the life of faith that we have to imitate. Please help us to be encouraged as we read the Gospels to follow Jesus and to not be hindered by thoughts that perhaps we can't really follow him because he was God and he's got help that we don't have. Please help us to have confidence that we can follow Jesus in the power of your spirit. Amen.